Hello, photography lovers. Hello, beautiful people. I am so happy to tell you that you're listening to the Fashion Photography Podcast, provided to you by the gorgeous editor, George, and of course, by me, your host, Virginia Y. It's time for us to share with you part two of our podcast with Hannah. Some of the topics today are shooting famous people and how exactly it happened to her, working with Digitex. And talking about this, you probably already know that one of the big topics today would be how to prepare for your really big project. Hannah is so amazing because she's giving us little details and small steps on the very important things that we don't have to forget when we are shooting something very big and very different from what we've done so far. And if you have done big projects before, maybe now that you hear her workflow, you will know some additional small steps that you haven't considered before. Another topic that might help you a lot is also how to work on two different continents, because that's what Hannah does. And what are the differences between working in UK and working in the US? These are just some of the things that we're discussing today, but there is more. So definitely listen to the whole podcast. And in case you have forgotten about part one, you can go to www.photographypodcast.net and listen to the previous episode and all of the episodes we have published so far. Were you ever in a situation where, for example, you shoot a big campaign for a client? You're done with a photo shoot. You send all the untouched raw images and another person is retouching them and you were like, whoa, what happened here? Maybe it was a great surprise. Maybe it was not. I've definitely looked at the retouching afterwards and thinking, wow, I wish I could be that good. <laughs> Where they just are really good at making everything look very sleek and natural and cool. And it's often, I think, with the hair. Because sometimes when you've got the wind machine going and you have so many stray hairs, I've done a lot of hair campaigns as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time I know on the day the hair is going everywhere, <laughs> blowing around. And then afterwards you see in the, they've got the nice wave and somehow all the rest of the stray hairs just go away, <laughs> which is incredible. But yeah, I haven't ever looked at it and been like, wow, that's completely different. But I've definitely looked at it and felt jealous of the retouching skills that they have because I'm not as advanced. <laughs> Okay, so we need a wind machine. What else do we need for the perfect <laughs> hair photo and a retoucher? <laughs> a hair light. I learned about hair lights recently, which is amazing. You can backlight the hair a bit mm -hmm. to get it popping a bit more against the background. You can get another light in there to highlight the top of the hair. It's all fascinating. The things you can do with light is just incredible. Talking about hair and also the very first part of the podcast, you mentioned that you're also shooting a lot of music-related stuff. Yeah. It is a fact that you have photographed a musician with a great hair. <laughs> and that's her. Yeah, she's incredible. Tell us more about the start of this work connection. And maybe you can also just share with us little small fun details from the shoot that nobody maybe knows. She is an incredible person. She is super talented, beautiful, the inside and out. She's great. The shoot came about because a makeup artist I work with does her makeup. Um, she showed 
my work to her <laughs> and or her manager and they liked it and then I was in LA at the same time as them and we did the shoot in hotel room it was great she's amazing we just did some portraits it was quite a fast shoot you know how artists are they're always busy there's always stuff going on mm -hmm. but yeah we got as much done as we could her team are great everyone's wonderful such a good vibe such a good energy and it was an amazing experience Do you remember the very first famous person that you get to just shoot? Yeah. The first time I went with my friend, we went to sort of for a party, which was a bit, a bit extreme to go to LA for a party, but that's kind of what we did. And then, and then I went again. And then the time after I got back from the second time I was there, I had a nap one afternoon and I woke up and I found that Jessica Albert was following me on Instagram. Oh, almost passed out. I was just like, wow, like, she's such an incredible person. How is she following me on Instagram? Is this a joke? Is this a prank? Like what's happening? So I messaged her on Instagram and I was like, hey, you're amazing. Let me know if you ever want to shoot. And she was just like, yeah, message my manager or I can't remember if it's her manager or her assistant, but message this person and we'll set something up. And then, yeah, we set something up and then Yeah, while later we shot together, which was incredible for her brand, Honest Beauty. Yeah, that was incredible. She is an amazing person to work with. I was so inspired. It was my first huge shoot with the Digitech and everything that I was talking about. Uh, we did a few different looks on the day. Her hair and makeup people are incredible. General team, everyone that she works with is amazing. So it was incredible to be a part of that. And I learned so much. It's very funny that you mentioned that this was your very first photo shoot with a Digitech because in this moment, something came to my mind. Maybe some of the people that are listening to the podcast at the moment, they haven't had this breakthrough moment. So maybe you can give them an advice or two on what to do and what to consider before the big photo shoot. Definitely try and get yourself in a situation where you've met a few Digitechs before you do it how to meet this rare birds <laughs> um okay okay first of all there are some agencies so there's definitely different ways you can go about it there are some digitech agencies around the world like la new york you know you can message them and find agencies and then they'll have digitech another the best way is probably to message studios and just say hey i'm looking at booking your studio on this date do you know any digitechs or just ask around studios just phone up and say hey I love your studio and I'm not booking it, but do you know any Digitechs? And a lot of the time, people that own studios will know Digitechs. Or you can also ask photographers that may be slightly ahead of you in your career. Do you know any Digitechs? Do you know any lighting assistant? And also maybe you've got a few makeup artist friends that have worked on set. They'll have the cool sheet and on the cool sheet, it may say the Digitechs email address or something. You can just email them and just be like, hey, I'm looking to get a Digitech or to get a lighting assistant. There's a few different ways you can go about it. And a lot of photographers do this on the side. I don't because I don't have the technical knowledge because I've actually never obviously assisted myself. I have as much technical knowledge as I need for me, but I wouldn't digitech for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I know how to do it roughly, but I'm not as skilled as a lot of these people. Um, but a lot of photographers do it because it's really, you know, the money is good if you're working on huge campaigns. 
especially in the US, they probably get around $1,000 a day to be a DigiTech. So a lot of them are working pretty much every day because they assist a few different photographers. So it's a good way to get money. Yeah. So I'd just say reach out to photographers or to studios. For example, in London, you've got Big Sky, you've got Spring, you've got Shortage Studios. You've got so many different studios. And I'm sure if you give some of these people a quick call, they might be able to point you in the right direction. They might be able to give you a producer's number that knows people. And also, I guess some photography agencies might know people because obviously they represent a lot of photographers and they all use them. Yeah, there's if you just think wider and then you can always meet up. If you think you might have something coming up soon where you might need that, you can always meet up with a couple of them. And at the time I used somebody through the studio. Mm-hmm. I think they're recommended, but they're also recommended through the studio. I can't quite remember. This is a long time ago. No problem at all. So is there something else that we have to consider before the big photo shoot? Make sure you're prepared, maybe if you have the ability to test out a few different lighting options, try and just make sure that you're prepared, you know, mentally, make sure you get enough sleep, all of those things. Make sure I feel like on set, you should always try and be professional. A lot of people just wear black. I don't feel like you have to wear necessarily all black, but trying to dress practical. A lot of got knee pads in my kit because a lot of the time you have to be on your knees trying to get that upward angle or they're on the floor and then you have to lean over you know your knees hurt if they're on a metal or concrete so sometimes you might need to just think about practical but smart outfit and also if you're a girl or if you're a guy with long hair get a hair tie because sometimes your hair can be flying in your face always have a spare I would say like have the camera that you're renting through the studio but then also have your own spare one laptops you know make sure you have a spare laptops it depends on the job whether you're doing it if you're doing it at a studio and they have they're renting the equipment through the studio then that's great because you know they're probably gonna have spares at the studio i've done a few jobs out in the desert in la as well and if you're in the desert and something breaks (laughs) you need a spare so try and make sure you always have a spare a lot of my friends will turn up to a job with one laptop or one camera one hard drive You need to always have a few. And another general thing I would say is always make sure you back up everything to more than one place. Don't have one hard drive. Have three hard drives. Have as many backups as you can. You can never be too safe, in my opinion. (laughs) And always back up as you go along. It depends. Obviously, if you're on a shoot with Digitech, they should make sure they're backing up as they normally are backing up to two, three, four places simultaneously. And it's always good to keep the hard drives in different places. You know, not talking about the big jobs, talking about the smaller jobs, you know, the medium-sized jobs that I was doing sort of in between that time. Yeah. I'd always make sure the client goes home with a hard drive and I go home with the hard drive. Even if the setup is that I'm going to be choosing the edits or doing a breakdown and stuff like that, always make sure the hard drives are in different places. If the Uber runs off with your bag or, you know, anything happens, you've got all the files somewhere else. Always tell your clients to back up their copies as well. Because you can't necessarily keep everything, you know, or a lot of the time I'll do a shoot in London and then I have to fly to New York and the images are in London, but I don't necessarily have the ability to take all the hard drives with me to all places. Whereas if the client had a hard drive and then they want me to edit an image, I'll be like, okay, I'm in New York. I don't, sorry, I don't have my drive, but just send me the image over WeTransfer and I'll edit it now. Or if the client's drive breaks, but then you're in New York, this is why the client should always have more than one drive. These were some... Absolutely stunning tips. 
You mentioned that you're traveling a lot. While we are on the topic of traveling, I would like to ask you, what were the difficulties, what are the difficulties of working between two different continents? Definitely the time difference <laughs> and the jet lag. I'm always fine going to the US. It's coming back to the UK from the US that is the, the problem. Um, obviously, visas, I'm on my second O1 visa now. And the visa always takes a long time. So I thought it was going to take around six, seven months. And it actually took over a year. And that's with me paying for speed processing. Visas can cost up to about 10,000 for the O1. Are you having a work visa? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Depending where you are, where you're going, definitely look into the visa costs, start saving for those. You can pay in installments, which is great, depending on the law firm. Visas are a lot of work. It's almost like having a part-time job alongside your job. So make sure you've got enough time, enough money saved up to deal with, you know, not being able to work as much while you're applying for the visa. But anyway, apart from that, a lot of the time the equipment has different names. So a Colorama in the UK is a seamless in the US. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's different wherever you go and different people know different terms. So bear that in mind, because a lot of the time, you know, let's say you know exactly what lighting you want. So you've copied and pasted your lighting list from the UK and you send it to the US, they won't know what half of the things are. So <laughs> you might have to bear that in mind and um, maybe send over photos of some of the things that you need so that they're like, oh, okay, this is what it's called. Well, this is the name of it. Also, there's a different attitude to work in the US, I think, than the UK. I think in the US, there's a lot more commercial work. In the UK, it's a bit more editorial in general. In the US, it's slightly more commercial, but it depends who you are, what you are, what's happening. And I think in the US, they're more accepting of change. There's a much more, much bigger curve model scene, for example, than in the UK. I think the UK is catching on now, but I think the UK was fighting it for a long time. They're not as embracing of the curve models, the plus size models, mm -hmm. as they are in the US. So I think the US is amazing for being able to accept that and bring that more into society because, in my opinion, everybody walking around should be able to see themselves in the campaigns. You know, you should be walking through Westfield or a mall of whatever and be able to see people that look not necessarily just like you, but similar to you. Yeah. All races and genders and ethnicities and uh, sizes and stuff. And I think they're going to sell more stuff. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, like on websites and stuff, if you don't see anybody in your size wearing something, how are you going to know what it looks like on you? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the US, you have to be careful where you are sometimes. And also look into all the legalities of everything because, for example, in London, some boroughs you're allowed to shoot, but you have to have a handheld camera and less than three team members. And some places you can't do it at all. And some places you can have a huge setup and it's fine. And I think the same in the US and other parts of the world. You always have to look into where you're shooting and also be respectful of cultures because I know some cultures wouldn't be acceptable to be shooting a swimwear campaign in the road. For example, if kids are walking past and stuff like that. So you've just got to be mindful of where you are and be respectful of the cultures that you're around. A lot of people have had camera equipment stolen from them in the UK and in the US and also different parts of the world. So always try and be safe and just keep an eye out of where you are. And, and also don't forget that cars come from the other side of the road. <laughs> so whenever you're in a different country, make sure 
when you're holding your camera, when the model's crossing the road, that they're looking the way that the cars are coming. The topic of locations is very interesting. So why don't we stick to it for a while? Since you're traveling each and every time to shoot in the U.S. because you don't know the place, maybe it's hard for you to find the right location. What do you do in moments like this? It's definitely good if you're going to be doing that to scout around the area. Also, Google is a great thing. So a lot of the time, if I'm trying to discover new places, for example, January of this year, I was planning to go to Chicago, then LA, then Miami. And my plan was to shoot in all three places, just to do some model tests and some creative things. But I was like, okay, I want to be able to find cool places to shoot. And so at first I was looking at Chicago because that's where I was going to first. And I was going through all the websites, like best places to shoot. And I looked for hours, days probably. Yeah, it was great. I just made sure I had like a different group on my WhatsApp just with me, with myself, just sending myself all the stuff so that I had different Chicago places. And I made a huge keynote document with all the different places and where I wanted to shoot what and what outfit and stuff like that. I was pretty organized, but definitely Google is great. And then you can check out all the best places to shoot and then also go visit there if you do have a day off try and scout around if you have the budget try and uber around have someone with you to be safe and stuff go in the daytime look around get the underground or the tube or the metro have a look around the different spots to shoot and then take photos of them figure out which angles you might want to shoot it at bear in mind the sunlight there's so many apps you can get as well for the sunlight so then you can look at where the sun's going to be and You can be like, okay, the sun's going to be beautiful here at 5 p.m. And the sun's going to be beautiful here at 6 a.m. So let me start at that place and then move over to that place. That's sort of how I would do that. And I was doing the same for Miami, but then I ended up not going to Miami because I ended up having another job in L.A. But I had the whole Miami plan. So at some (laughs) point I'll do that, hopefully. Next time. Yeah. What was the biggest culture clash for you? I don't think I've ever really had that. It's interesting because I feel like in the US, New York and LA have very similar mindsets to the UK or to London. I guess there's different slang for different things. If I say water, they won't understand what I mean. They say water. But I haven't. I don't think there's been any specific culture clash. I guess New York, everyone's pretty direct. And in London, everyone's quite polite. Yeah. You have to get used to working with New Yorkers because a lot of the time, you know, they tell you exactly how they think. But actually, you have to just embrace that and be like, you know what, that's great. I'm happy that you're telling me that. In LA, they're a bit more like smiley, but it depends. Everyone's different. Again, what's great about New York and LA is that there's so many different people there from so many different places. So you're meeting a lot of people that you wouldn't necessarily. And I think every person that you meet is incredible because you learn so much about them and their life and their story. And everyone has advice to give and things that they've gone through that then maybe you can learn that and then not have to go through that yourself. You can tell us more about the teams that you're working with in the States. Since you don't know many people beforehand, what do you do to find the right team? The second shoot that I did with Jessica Alba, there was Great Digitech, which was organized through their team. And great lighting assistants and stuff which they organize because they have really good links with that and then I actually just asked that guy if he could work for me again because I think he was freelance at this point at one point he was like oh I can't do this job but I know this person and this person and this person and I was like okay great and then I messaged them and then I messaged them and then I messaged people they knew and they knew so 
I've actually grown the whole network probably through them. But then I've also since that time met other photographers and agencies and stuff like that. And if one person gives you two people, then those two people each give you another two people. You know, you're growing your network. So that's sort of, I guess, how I grew my network of Digitex and lighting assistants and stuff like that. And I think it's always good to have more because you never know. Some people are busy all the time or a few people I know have stopped doing it. So it's always good to try and expand your network wherever possible. But obviously, there's only so much time in the day. So it's trying to balance that. They work pretty much the same as here. Everyone uses the same programs. Everyone does the same thing. There's just different names for equipment. And in LA, for example, there's much more need for scrims and diffusers and stuff like that because sunlight all the time. (laughs) Whereas in the UK, you're renting more lights. And in the US, you know, in LA, you're renting more diffusers and in New York you're renting different things so it depends but it's fascinating to see everyone work. I was wondering where do you get the information for example for pricing and things like that because many people in the industry are very afraid to talk about prices. Yeah I think a lot of the time you just have to judge it by what you know sometimes people will offer you certain things and you have to look at the usages and stuff like that If it's a global buyout versus whether it's a small lookbook for a small brand. And in general, people will charge less for a small brand who's like your sister's friend's friend that you're doing. The huge billionaire company are obviously going to be different prices, but they're going to be different usages. So, you know, it always has to be fair across the board. Obviously, as you start off, it will be less. And as you go forward, it will be more. But always try and be fair with everything. And Try and make sure if you're getting paid more, your lighting assistants are getting paid more, you know. First of all, if you can, try and speak to them and find out what their overall budget is. If someone can only afford £250 studio, they probably can't afford to pay you £6,000. You know, if they're shooting it at this £4,000 a day studio, you can probably charge more than £200. You kind of have to sort of go off it from that as well I guess if you're lost and you're just trying to figure it out but try and go up I guess a few hundred pounds a year in terms of you get better as your work gets better try and sort of do it like that and then also just take note of things and also I think in the UK it's less than the US because if you think about the UK the population is less you know there's 60 70 million people here whereas in the US there's about 350 million so you're advertising to less people there's going to be less budget the prices will be lower and it depends which country you're doing this in but also just figure out what you can do it for what's practical you can always add on things for example do they have enough budget to rent light i think especially when you're starting out it can be hard to judge what a client wants to spend i've known some people that have charged you know 150 pounds for a job and then they've turned up and it's been a huge studio and a huge production and everyone else is there as a huge celebrity and they're just like oh no i should have charged more A lot of my assistants right now, especially the ones that are starting out in that exact same situation right now, where they're just trying to figure out exactly how much to charge for what. But yeah, definitely judging the size of the production is definitely a key aspect to go off. But also figuring out what you can do, because a lot of the time there's no point in saying no if you want to do the job and it's worth your time. If you think you can get some amazing images You know, if you think you should be charging a thousand pounds for something, for example, for your rate, and they say, oh, we can only pay 800, then maybe just say, okay, I can still do it. This isn't the rate that I would normally charge, but you can have two months less usage or 
you can have an hour less of the day. Mm-hmm. Balance it out. Try and mediate the situation. Try and figure out a way that you can both come together in the middle. It sounds perfect. Or you can just uh, adjust the number of images at the end of exactly. the day. Yeah, that's another key aspect that you could do. Yeah. Is there an image or maybe a whole editorial from your portfolio that you truly love and that maybe you want to share a funny story with us from behind the scenes of this project? So many. A few years ago, I fell down the stairs. Oh my God, that's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) And no, I sprained my ankle on the inside and the outside. Oh my God. So it wasn't a break. It was like a double sprain. One thing or another took a long time to diagnose and sort out. But I had to basically have a cast on. It wasn't a proper cast like when you break something, but I had to have this like device on my foot at all times, like this tout, this uh, wrap thing. Mm -hmm. And then I also had to have foam thing and then this big boot. And during that time, I was obviously shooting. (laughs) And therefore, (laughs) lots of things happened. I guess the most iconic shoot that I've ever done, or the thing that definitely springs to my mind, is one of my favorites of all time, is we did an editorial in a forest that that it was for a magazine. They organized everything and it was all good, but basically we set off some smoke bombs, colored smoke bombs. Mm -hmm. And it just basically, it's all harmless. Nothing stains or anything. It's just colored air. And um, we set off these, like, they were pink and red and white. And we set them off in these huge open plains. You obviously made sure no one was there. And it was all sorted from the magazine, sorted all out, whatever. But, yeah, that was incredible. And we shot that in the forest. And the stylist was incredible. His name is Ozzy Shah. He's amazing. And I think he's just set up a brand now. But, you know, we, we were shooting Prada and Louis Vuitton and these, like, tens of thousands of pounds designer clothing. It was incredible like the clothes were incredible but we had a location van so it was like a big van like a people it's the most bougie car I've ever been in (laughs) it's like a coach but it had like a rail and a steamer and a really nice bathroom and like a minibar and everything it was incredible but we were shooting deep in the forest I had a broken ankle and so basically I just sat in the forest the whole day (laughs) and the model and the styling and the team was sort of going from the van to the forest, from the van. You know, obviously I was waiting, you know, half an hour or so while people were getting changed and moving back and forth and stuff. And it was raining the night before, so it was all muddy and stuff. And, and then at one point I wanted to sit down. So I sort of sat on this sturdy looking tree that had the top chopped off. So it kind of looked like a perfect seat. Mm-hmm. I sat on it and then fell off. It was not sturdy. It was rotten. (laughs) And I fell off onto just like the mud, I guess. And couldn't really get myself back (laughs) off. So I just sort of laid there for a bit and eventually managed to get myself up. But yeah, I mean, it was iconic shoot. And I guess it was quite funny from what happened. Um, And obviously, eventually I was fine and my foot got fixed. But yeah, that was definitely interesting. (laughs) <laughs> the photos are incredible and yeah at the end of the day that's the most important part right yeah and my mom actually has some of them around the house um she wanted to print them out because a lot of the shoots that i do are more specific or too fashion fashiony or you know they're, they're not something you would want around the house if you're my mom for example and 
But those pictures look quite cool because it's more like the forest. You can still see the model, but it's mainly about the forest and the smoke and the colors and the clothes. And you guys can actually see some of the photos that Hannah mentioned on photographypodcast.net, where you can find the whole conversation. And Hannah, there is something very specific in all of your photos. And this is your posing. Is there a specific secret connected to your posing models? And what do you do in order to achieve those beautiful results? I've never been asked that before. Um, amazing. I'm happy that you like that. I just really like to get them to be free and to do their thing. I love capturing those sort of in-between moments. Sometimes I will help them move into a certain position, but a lot of the time I just sort of let them get weird. A lot of the time I'll literally just say like, be weird or like, you know, <laughs> like often what I'll do is reenact the pose myself as to what I want them to do. And then I'll be like, can you do something like this? And I'll just put my hand on my hip or whatever I want to do. Then I'll get them to uh, do something similar to that. Most of the time they just laugh at me. But then they do it, so <laughs> they get into that pose. But I think yeah, I just I love to capture the in-between moments and sometimes I'll snap um, the camera sort of erratically so that um, I'll get those sort of in-between things. But yeah, also just get them to, to do weird things and things they may not have done before and be raw and open with it. Don't be scared to be not pretty kind of thing. We know they're always going to look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> They might think, oh, I don't look good from this angle or whatever. We know they will. Yeah, because a lot of models, they do a lot of e-coms. They do the same posing. But a lot of models as well say to me, like, look, I'm stuck in e-com. I want to be able to pose differently. And then we'll, yeah, we'll do different. Try and be free. And also I'll try and make sure there isn't a mirror around. Because a lot of models will try and look at what they're doing in the mirror and check it looks yeah. good and stuff rather than sort of living in the moment. And I'm lucky to work with some incredible models who... They know what they're doing. So I don't want to tell them, oh, do this, do that, because they know exactly what they're doing. Maybe I'll just be like, okay, move to this side or move to this side. But within that, they know what they're doing. They know how to act a certain way. So I just sort of let them do their thing because they know what they're doing. So just sort of work with that and then just sort of tell them the attitude or the vibe that we want. A lot of models actually tell me that a lot of other photographers will be like, be vulnerable, do this, do this. Whereas I prefer them to, feel strong you don't have to be vulnerable I don't understand I love this I don't feel like as a woman you need to be vulnerable to be attractive I feel like being strong and knowing your worth and all these things can be amazingly attractive and cool do you usually talk a lot with your models during the process of preparation for the photo shoot it depends on the situation obviously sometimes I'm if on a bigger production I'm setting up the lighting and stuff like that so I can't speak to them as much Mm -hmm. and sometimes on a test then we do get more chance to talk I think it's always great to know them and what happens now which is great because I do so many cool tests for Instagram and stuff like that is that I also through that meet a lot of models so we've met in an environment where we're just doing a beauty test for example but then we're on a huge beauty campaign together like recently um this girl I know called Milan we originally worked together Actually, on one of the Honest Beauty campaigns for Jessica Alba, so I eventually met her there. But then actually on that shoot, there was another girl that was on that campaign that I'd met before on a test. So it was great. And then you know, over time, you work with people more, but then you get to know them. And it's really great when you know people that have been booked on campaigns and also new people because then you get to know them. So 
it depends. I try and, you know, speak to them a bit, at least if I can. Hopefully my first interaction with them isn't when I'm literally taking the photo. Always try and say hi beforehand. But it just depends on the day because sometimes it's a crazy day and there's so many models. But yeah, try and like get to know them a bit if possible. And we got to know you a little. Thank you so <laughs> much for being our guest. It was amazing. Thank you so much. It was incredible to talk to you. This was the end of our interview with Hannah and it was so amazing to have her here because she's absolutely amazing. And the best part is that she's not hiding anything. So if you're a big fan of her, you should definitely check out her Instagram account is linked in the show notes on photographypodcast.net. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you'll be able to hear each and every episode right after its publication. And of course, share the podcast with all of the people around you because sharing is caring. Thank you guys so much for being with us today and I cannot wait to see you next Wednesday when we'll be here with a brand new guest. <laughs>